they were living hand to mouth, almost literally. Hey, wine lovers, welcome back to Great and Find Unfiltered. John here. In today's episode, we resume our conversation with Dan Kravitz of Handpicked Selections. We'll learn a little bit about how Dan discovered one of his favorite wineries, Domaine de Pegau, a few facts about the winery, and how, apparently, Laurence does not sleep. Alrighty, let's do it. About the Cabaret Winery, which is a pretty nifty. I see that. I, I, by the way, both are correct, but I say Cabaret. 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 Yeah. Um, one of the uh, one of one of my kind of flagship producers is uh, Domaine de Pegau in Chateauneuf de Pop. Yeah. First time I ever visited there, uh, the co-owners Laurence Ferreau and her father Paul. I figured out soon after I met them that their only purpose in breathing is to argue with each other. <laughs> so how do you pronounce the winery? And Laurent says Pego and Paul says Pegau, because one of them speaking French and the other one speaking Provençal. Oh, geez. So uh, Cabaret, if you're speaking French, it's Cabaret. And if you're speaking Catalan, which I prefer, it's Cabaret. Cool. Well, let's uh, let's zip over to the Rhone, and we'll talk okay. about just a couple of people there that you are dealing with. You already uh, mentioned uh, Pegau, Pego, yep, and how they're uh, constantly uh, you know at each other's throats. You might as well start there. So, uh, you know, give me the five minute spiel on those guys. Well, uh, this was um, the way I found them was uh, some real serendipity. I decided I wanted a Chateauneuf de Pop, and we're going back to 1988 here, you know, prehistory. And uh, I wrote to some people, you know, not, I wasn't, I wasn't uh, emailing them in those days. Mm-hmm. Um, and I made four appointments to see people. I don't remember the names, and I wouldn't tell you who they were if I did. But I made four appointments in Chateauneuf de Pop, and one guy's wine was just bad. One guy's wine was mediocre, but he was a real nice guy. His prices were dirt cheap. He seemed very eager to do business, and I thought possible. One guy's wine was good, but his prices were through the roof. And the fourth guy had even better wine, but he was also really expensive. And he was telling me, well, you know, if you represent the United States, then we have to be in this restaurant. And I've heard of this uh, famous wine store, and I want to make sure. He was uh, basically telling me how I was going to do my job. Yep. Well, I'm a cheapskate, so I figured, okay, this guy's wine is okay, not great, but it's very inexpensive. He's very eager to do business. He's going to be very easy to do business with. I've got a meeting in Bordeaux later. Let me. Uh, take a bottle of his wine. So I took a bottle of his wine and I went to Bordeaux and I was in a meeting with the broker who wound up steering me toward Langdock, a vineyard owner I know, and Robert Parker. We were had an appointment to all taste together and we did. After we finished tasting, I pulled out the Chateauneuf brown bag and uh, poured it for these three guys and um, didn't tell them, any, you know, to double blind. Mm-hmm. And so the uh, chateauner looks at me, sniffs, sips, spits, looks at me and says, Dan, no. 
The broker looks at me, sniffs, sips, and says, Dan, no. Robert Parker sniffs, sips, looks at me and says, Dan, no. Uh, there's this embarrassed silence, and Parker says, is this supposed to be Burgundy? I said, no, Chateauneuf de Pop, and I made an executive decision that I wasn't going to buy that wine. <laughs> and there's this embarrassed silence, and then Parker says, you know, I was talking to Michel Bertin, Revue de Vendée de France, just yesterday. He told me about this uh, new Chateauneuf estate with old vines that just started to bottle their own wine. And I said, oh, cool, what's the name? He said, I don't remember. <laughs> he said, it sounded like pig out. <laughs> uh, okay. So the next day was Thursday before my first appointment. I got up and I went to the French what, post office, which at that time was called PTT, mm-hmm. Post Telephone and Telegraph. And they had a very early dead end computerized phone directory called Minitel. Yep, I remember that. And so I went to the village of chateauneuf de pop scrolled the letter P. And so Pego, Pegau, P-E-G-A-U, wines. So I call him up and say, um, do you sell in the United States? No. Are you interested? Yes. That was Thursday morning. Saturday, I was supposed to go sailing with the chateau owner. I canceled the appointment, made an appointment to see them on Saturday, drove back 280 miles to Chateauneuf de Pop from Bordeaux, and went into uh, taste. How do you say the name of the winery? Pego, Pegal. <laughs> Three hours later, they still have the 85 vintage in fooder. They're getting ready to sell it off in bulk. And I taste through all the fooders, which in theory are the same, but there are some differences. I pull a business card out of my wallet, I stick it into the cross piece of fooder and say, I'll buy that one. The most Chateauneuf de Pop I had ever bought in my life had been one bottle. <laughs> I just committed to 500 cases. Nice. <laughs> and uh, their eyes got big. And when I talk about how loyal they've been to me, uh, they're dance with Hubrungia types, and uh, they will not forget when I pulled that card out of my wallet, stuck it in the crossbar of the fooder and said, I'll buy that. Well, that's awesome. And so the visit finally ends and I say, okay, I've got, I'm staying at this hotel in Orange. How do I get back there? Paul says, go out of the driveway and turn left. Laurent says, no, go out of the driveway and turn right. <laughs> so that's how I got started with them. And uh, the secret of why the wine is so good is that there is no secret they grow the grapes and make the wine exactly the way the grapes were grown and the wine was made 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. The um, fermentation tanks, old concrete fermentation tanks, the youngest of them is, well, they have one that they, they needed a new small one that they bought maybe 20 years ago. But the fermentation tanks range from 90 to about 110, 115 years of age. Wow. The fooders, you know, 20, 30, 50, 75 years. Um, it's just incredibly, incredibly traditional. Paul Ferreau, Laurence's father, had um, was one of five kids, and he thought he didn't get enough attention, so he decided he was only going to have one kid. And Laurence Ferreau, man, <laughs> did, he, did he get dealt the right hand that time? And she is 
one of the most brilliant human beings I've ever met and um, also happens to be an incredibly nice, incredibly honorable person. She's just an absolute gem of a human being. And uh, she's just built it out of, you know, on hard work and brains. I mean, you shake her hands today, the calluses are there. She still works in the vineyard. Wow. You know, when I visited them, they had 12 acres. They now have 53. They started bottling the wine. I mean, when I, when I committed to that 500 cases, I got home. I got a phone call. Can you please pray, prepay for half of this? And I said, yeah, but why? It isn't that we don't trust you. It's that we don't have the money to buy the uh, bottling materials. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's the thing people don't realize. A lot of times, you know, you know, when you're talking small producers anywhere, you know, it's not like the, everyone's rolling in money and they have like, oh, we need a new facility or we need this, this, this. You know, they have to figure out you know, where they're going to come up with money to do their business, you know? Bootstraps. I mean, they were, they called the, uh, the primary release wine has been called Cuvier Reserve since before they bottled that 1985, because when um, Paul was running the business before Laurence came in, he was selling 90% of his wine in bulk, Gigal, Davin Foyard, Jabalais Aine. And the 10% that he bottled himself, he called Cuvier Reserve, reserved for us. Mm-hmm. And he was selling it to the local restaurants and delivering it himself. Wow. A few private customers. It's, it's like nothing. They were, they were making, you know, they were living hand to mouth, almost literally. And it took, I'm going to say from the time I started, probably not 10 years, but definitely over five before they got to the point where they could bottle everything themselves. It probably was close to 10 years before they could afford to stop selling in bulk. Ron's bootstrapped that business from 12 acres, 10, you know, bottling, you know, what, 1.2 acres, two tons per acre. Uh, They're probably bottling 100, 150 cases of wine a year. Wow. That's nothing. And today they're probably of the basic, you know, all Chateauneuf combined, they're probably in the um, 8,000, 9,000 case range. Still not a lot of wine, but of course you're making some money because it doesn't sell at the low end of Chateauneuf. Yeah, exactly. But also I see they're doing quite a few Cote de nowadays. Well, Laurence, Laurence is larger than life. There's not an arrogant or snobbish molecule in that woman's body, but she just functions on a different level. So go back now to, um, let me see, how far back are we going? About seven years. So her father is officially retired. She's now totally in charge of Domaine de Pego. Her father officially retires means he's probably only working a 40-hour week, but she is still legally, it is her domain now. Um, she's a single mother with a teenage daughter and a teenage son. She has Selection Laurence Fro, a negociant business, mm-hmm. and in partnership with the owner of Domaine Le Caillou, she has Ferro Brunel, another negociant business. So she's trying to figure out what to do with her spare time. 
So she buys a 100-acre Coquerone estate. You see what I mean by larger than life? Yeah. Most people in that position wouldn't be worrying about what to do with their spare time. They'd be worrying about how to get one three hours of sleep a night. Exactly. So 100 yeah, acres she's, is quite a lot. Yeah. Um, ruined Chateau called Chateau Le Juve. She changed the name to Chateau Pegot. And she's something of a contrarian. Most French wine properties, Chateau is the name of the top wine. And if they use the name for something else, Domain is the second wine. Pegout's the opposite. The top wine is Domaine de Pegot. The second wine, which is all Appalachian Cote de Rhone, is Chateau Pegot. Hmm. There are five bottlings from there. Um, three are Cote de Rhone. There's 80% of her Cote de Rhone acreage is entitled to Cote de Rhone Village Appalachian, but she only bottles 20% of it as Cote de Rhone Village and came up with the proprietary name Setier. Mm-hmm. Um, she does a white called Cuvelon, and most of the state production of Cote d'Iron Red is Cuve Maclura, which is uh, the name of a tree that grows on the property called Ose, an Osage Orange in English. And then of the 100, and, I guess it was 100, about 110 acres, and there's 25 or a little more than 25 acres that are not entitled to Appalachian. They're on a different kind of soil and it's checkerboard doesn't qualify. So she makes pink pego from that, mm-hmm. uh, primarily Sanso, old vine rosé. And then she makes a wine called plan pego, which they expanded production of something that existed before. Even when they only had the four, 12 acres of Chateauneuf du Pop, uh, her father owned five acres just outside of Chateauneuf that was planted to all kinds of oddball grapes. I mean, there was some Aramon, there was some Merlot in these five acres. Uh, There was a grape called Madeleine Angevin, Mm -hmm. which is legally not allowed to be made into wine in France, except it can be made into table wine. And uh, I walked that vineyard once at harvest time. And basically, if you think about a supermarket and the grapes they have called Flame Toke, where each grape is like that big. <laughs> they got two rows of that in there. Wow. So he didn't want to do anything with it. And then uh, they, they were up to about a dozen acres for those grapes, which they used to make a blended semi-solera style red, which I think is one of the unsung gems of my portfolio, uh, called Plan Pigot. Plan being the French word for plain is in a flat mm-hmm. piece of ground, P-L-A-I-N. Um, and then when they bought the um, Cote de Rhone vineyard that had almost 25 acres of non-Appalachian vines in it, they were able to increase the production of Plan Pago. Our current release is lot 14, 15, 16. So they'll bottle some. They use small old barrels, hold it in those small old barrels, semi-solera system. Every year they bottle some. Every year they refill the small old barrels and mm. some semi-weeds. And they release it as a wine that's basically pretty ready to drink because you're now, the average age of what's in the 14, 15, 16 release is now five years. Wow. And it's had three years to breathe in small old neutral oak. Another creation of Laurence's who does... Her mind is working all the time, and it works really well. 
I've seen that out there in the market and I've always wondered what it was exactly. And now I know. Yeah. And uh, again, it's something that it's a little esoteric. You know, it, I, I'm guessing that she probably sells two thirds or three quarters of her production of that to French restaurants as a buy the glass wine. But it would have to be a pretty geeky restaurant to sell something that's a blend of three vintages by the glass in the United States. Sure, there are restaurants that'll do it, but you know, not not the more mainstream. Uh, you know, it's it's not something an American steakhouse is going to say, "Oh, that's cool." No, you never know. But yeah, yeah. your average steakhouse probably not. <laughs> yeah. Wow, oh, that's cool. I'd love to meet a uh, Laurent someday. Maybe I will. Um, she, yeah, oh yeah, she'll come. She'll come to the U.S. early and often once uh, the world reopens. She, I mean, she's just one of the nicest, smartest, highest energy human beings you'll ever meet. Shall I say, there's nothing arrogant or snobbish about her, but when she walks into a room, you know. Hmm. Yeah, it just radiates off of her. Well, that's cool. Big personality. Yeah, big personality. Cool. That kind of gets me up to speed on the mean to pego or peg out. That's going to be a nonstop thing now. Pig uh, pig out. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a great success story. 35 years and a lot of hard work. That's what it takes. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for listening in. And if you're on Instagram, be sure to check us out at GreatX1. Until next time, a bientôt.